film fans, and welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Wednesday, February 27th, 2019. The Oscars are in the rear view. Green Book is king, and I'm officially sick and tired of winter. Hope everyone is doing well. I'm Brandon Champion, the host of the SDFP, joined by my co-host, Mr. Evan Dean. And, and guess what, buddy? We did it. We made it a year. Uh, February 21 was the anniversary of no us way. dropping our Black Panther podcast, which meant, which means we've kept this baby going for a year. So congrats to you, sir. Yeah, it's a little round of applause. There we go. applaud for you. You applaud for yeah, me. Yeah, a little applaud for ourselves because we got no one else. So to do. it's it's episode either 30 or 31. 30. 30. So 30 in a year. That's yeah. not bad. So yeah, I was just thinking about that when I was watching the Oscars and Black Panther was coming on and yeah. I was like, well, that was our first pod back. I feel like it was in February when we did that because I remember specifically talking about wanting that to be our first podcast. So I checked and uh, yeah, February 21 is when that dropped. So uh, we've made a whole year of the SDFP. We've stuck to it. And we've had 30 episodes for you, so uh, that's cool. But how are you doing today? You feeling good? Good, man. Yeah, I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk Oscars, and uh, you know, I think there's a lot to talk about, as there is every single year. For sure. And of course, before we move on to the Oscars, I want to give a shout out to everyone who's been with us and helped us uh, get this baby off the ground. Uh, that would include Megan Norman Meadows, who designed our logo, Eric Baer, who mixed the music you hear at the beginning and end of every podcast. Uh, Evan, Dean, I want to thank you for, for co-hosting with me and coming on the show, and also Sam, the popcorn correspondent, uh, Mike Nichols, and Sasha Zadar, who have also helped out so far this year. Uh, and of course, our listeners. Yeah. It would be pretty dumb to do a pod if no one listened to it. So we appreciate everyone who's helped us sort of uh, get this baby off the ground, so to yeah. speak. No, a huge appreciation for, for everybody, and uh, you know... We we think that this is a lot of fun, and we hope you enjoy it, and we hope more people uh, can hear us. So, uh, without further ado, you know, I think maybe now's the time to let everybody know how to how to listen to us, how to find us, how to learn more about us. Yeah, for sure. So you know this if you've listened to us. We're yeah. on social media. Facebook, Twitter, uh, you can listen to old episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes, we're on Instagram, I've uh, been trying to find so, sort of new fun content to post on there. Give us a rating, give us a review, just go to the search bar, search Second Day Film Podcast, and we should pop up. Um, coming up on today, that is episode 30 of the podcast, as we said, and we've sort of alluded to it, we will be reviewing some of the highlights and lowlights of the 91st Academy Awards uh, that took place last Sunday. Then we'll move on to a few quick reviews, including a family film that I have very much been looking forward to. It's called How to Drain, Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Um, so let's get, let's get to it, shall we? Uh, as I said, the 91st Academy Awards happened on Sunday. Um, lots of things to talk about yeah, with this, and I've a got a few different directions that I want to go, Evan. But what, do you, what is uh, sort of the first thing that jumped out to you while watching the show? I think... Uh upsets was kind of the name of the game this year right with some of the biggest categories i mean uh glenn close for uh lead actress i think everybody thought was a shoe-in and olivia coleman ends up winning and even saying during her acceptance speech which was one of the highlights yes and the funniest doubt. moments she even says this isn't how i wanted it to go you know because <laughs> glenn close deserves one at this point uh, obviously the other big upset uh, is Green Book, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, obviously took home uh, the Best Picture award over uh, Roma, which was the favorite. And what I think not only is the big takeaway from the ups is that there were upsets, but also that 
people are pissed that Green Book won, and it's one of the, and it pisses me off that the Hollywood elites are pissed. So. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'll just jump right in there because yeah. I agree. I just said on my a couple pods ago, Green Book was my number one movie of Me 2018. Too. So of course I'm I'm on board with this. I'm excited. Um, and while I was I was surprised that it won based on how the night was going, you know, Roma uh, Carone had won for director for cinematography. It felt like it was going in that direction, and it also seemed like even Black Pants, Panther had a chance once it started winning some of those early awards. In the night, but I, I'm happy they went with Green Book. I think it was a great move by the Academy. You know, it's a crowd pleaser, and it's not like a super artsy movie. It's a movie that the general film goer can go yeah. see and enjoy. And I thought it was good for the Academy to sort of uh, embrace that. And I think it's a bad look for the film snobs, snobs that dislike that movie for some reason. Like you and me, you could be considered film snobs, and we love that movie. I don't understand the hate. That is being directed towards Green Book. I don't understand it either. Um, and Spike Lee specifically, I, I don't have it pulled right up, but he had some pretty damning remarks about about Green Book winning. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, do, did you ever really figure out what specifically people were mad about? I think they just felt maybe it was a little bit too easy, too too uh, you know simple of a plot, too much yeah. of a crowd pleaser. You know, it's the same reason people. There's a certain faction of people that don't like Remember the Titans because it's too manipulative in their opinion it's too like it's too easy you know it's too much of a crowd pleaser either way i think it's stupid i'm glad green book won also great even though i didn't pick olivia coleman uh that was when i got wrong yeah her her you kind of mentioned her speech it was so hilarious it was like yeah. uh it was like i tweeted that it was it was the best bad speech ever because she was like stumbling over her words. It was sort of like incoherent rambling. Yeah. Uh, but it was still amazing. You know, telling Glenn Close she's her idol and she's like, this isn't how I wanted to be. Or like, I think <laughs> yeah. she like randomly yelled Lady Gaga at one point. Oh, yeah. and she was, was really all helpful. over the place. You could tell she didn't plan on winning. And uh, it showed when she got up there. But, but what I liked is I think the best acceptance speeches are when people don't have a script. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that? They I just mean, kind I of think, speak from the heart. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, Rami Malek, he had a great acceptance speech. I don't think anybody had any issue with him winning. I, I didn't see that, and I need to see that. It's like right up on the top of my list, but yeah. uh, well-deserved for him. Um, and, and I just, I thought that those moments, kind of those organic moments that are a little less rehearsed, are sometimes the best. Yeah, and Remy Malik was one of the, you know, I wasn't going to go to picks right away, but we'll do it now since we're sort of going yeah. down that road. Uh, I got 13 out of 24, not great, uh, down from 18 out of 24 last year. I think you texted me, it was the, so the, the sophomore slump. Yeah, I think part of that, though, is because there were some upsets, you know. There was yeah. a couple big one I missed. I had Glenn Close over Olivia Coleman, I said. Uh, you know, Re Regina King did win over Rachel Wise, which is something I did say that I kind of saw coming. Um, and I also think I overlooked Black Panther in some of the production categories. It won for production design and costumes. I thought that might go more to like uh, films like The Favorite. Um, so maybe that's part of the reason why I didn't do so great. So 13 out of 24, room for improvement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, I like, did get Green Book, though, so we'll, yeah, I'll take no, that. Well, I, I like that you're at least going to go with movies that you liked more because um, it's a it's a it's a fickle game right on one hand you want to pick the movies that you like the most but on the other hand you recognize how stuffy and uppity the academy can be at times so you also have to keep that in mind when doing picks yeah and my fiance she did ask me she's like are you trying to predict what they're gonna pick or are you making your picks and i in my opinion i'm making my picks mm -hmm. i'm not it's not like a prediction so uh you know not great on the picks but you know 13 out of 24 i'll take it room for improvement 
One thing I wanted to touch on, there was no host this year. We talked about on the, that on the last pod. Uh, I thought it quirk, worked out quite well, actually. Uh, I didn't miss the opening monologue. Uh, they used sort of different tactics to make the lack of a host more, uh, less noticeable, maybe. Uh, they opened the show with Queen performing yeah, We Will Rock awesome. You and We Are the Champions, which I thought was fun. I thought it was like an inclusive way to start the show. You know, right off the bat, maybe you pull people in who aren't interested in the show and they see, oh, Queen, that's kind of fun. Uh, I joked on Twitter that if we just had a Queen song in place of all the normal host responsibilities, I'd be cool with it. <laughs> um, and they, they used other tactics, you know, like Maya Rudolph, Tina Fey, and Amy Poehler came on and kind of did like a little bit early on and sort of made some good jokes. So they were kind of like the surrogate monologue yeah. in a way. And, th and then at the end, Julia Roberts kind of wraps up the show. She just says like, that's the Oscars. Bye. You know, so I think they made it work. I yeah, thought it worked well, okay. And a, a few things in response. I think that, you know, the host, you're right, kind of has a beginning and an end and that's it because the the... The voice of God, or the over, you know, the lady who does the announcements. She, they bring out different people to introduce various awards. Who is that lady? I, I feel like it's the same lady yeah. that's always at every single award show, and the voice of God is seriously what it is. Yeah, I mean, like, she does a good job, and I think that because they have her, they have different people come out, and they don't have the host introducing each person presenting the award. So I agree. I like that there wasn't a host. I think it worked well. I did. I did love the musical open. Um, for any like. Uh, American Idol fans out there, maybe you've heard the story. So Adam Lambert, former runner-up, he tours or has toured with Queen, mm -hmm. and so he was the one who was on vocals. He's and the they, new Freddie Mercury, yeah, basically. They, it, yeah, and, and that they, might be blasphemous to say. I should probably strike that and take it back. Well, but but there was a lot of a lot that went into choosing who was going to tour with Queen yeah. and do the vocals, and he, I thought he did a great job. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah, you're right. The, the the first award, the traditional first award, is the supporting actress, and they kind of had those three ladies come up and do a mini monologue and and i liked it and i, and I, I just got done watching it um you know in, in my dvr and i think it was three hours and 15 minutes in when they got to best picture an improvement so, from last year and a, a considerable improvement so that was nice because mm -hmm. we all talked about the problem how it drags out and drags on mm -hmm. uh, you know over yeah. the years and speaking of musical performances uh bradley cooper and lady gaga performing shallow I thought was another good uh, good highlight. Um, it was it was very steamy, you could say. Uh, <laughs> Did you see that on Twitter at all? Yeah, that was all that anybody was talking. Well, that's, about. I think that's all anyone was looking forward to. You know, they, it was so good when they did it in the movie. You know, I think there was a lot to live up to when they're doing it live. You know, Bradley Cooper's obviously he's not known for being a singer. I will say, I think he did a decent yeah, job. I, do too. I, I actually think Lady Gaga is the one who sort of missed her cue right away. Uh, of course, she brought it back. Oh, you know, she's she's little dude. Yeah. No, but right away, if you watch the beginning, I felt like she missed the note just by like hmm. a second. Not the note, but like when she was supposed to start. Maybe not. I don't know. She anything. was too busy staring into the eyes of Bradley. Well, that's Cooper. what I'm saying. Like, I wanted them to kiss at the end. You know, I was like ready for them to start disrobing each other and doing it on top of the piano. It was live television, I know, but maybe just a little kiss. Like, this is Hollywood. People fake kiss each other. Well, how, how many people at home are watching and like looking at the crowd pan when they go to Bradley Cooper's lady and like, what is that poor woman thinking right <laughs> well, now? Well, I mean, it, again, it's Hollywood, man. People have fake sex scenes and kiss each other all the time. Well, I, mean, I know, I like but, I think, but, but, but if you go on Twitter and search them, there everyone is like got these conspiracy theories. They need to be married, this and that. Like it was, it was the most talked about thing on Twitter. And I know Twitter isn't everything, but on 
But on social media, that performance took the cake. People are definitely shipping Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga as if they aren't actors and they can't act like they're madly in love with each other. Like, come on, they're playing this thing up. Let's be real. Yeah. So, but I liked it. I thought it was a good performance. Uh, I thought the music performances were okay for the most part. You know, I wish yeah. we could have gotten Kendrick in uh, uh, from Black Panther, right? all the stars. Like, how did they not get Kendrick? Like, what's up with this? I knew that coming in, he wasn't going to be there, but I wish that would have happened. I think we yeah. were missing that. So, yeah. uh, anything else that you wanted to highlight? Just or? a couple of things I thought were funny that I just wanted to mention is, what the hell were people wearing? <laughs> Hollywood sucks, dude. I hate <laughs> that they wear stuff just because it's crazy looking. Yeah. Don't you feel like they do? Like, did you not They're trying to make a statement. About some of the outfits? I'm like, how do you move in that thing? I know my boy Mahershala Ali looked fly as hell. Yeah, he had the little, uh, you yeah. know, hat on. And then my other thing was... If you're, like, a part of one of the smaller awards and you're one of, like, two or three people accepting the same award, it sucks to be the second or third guy. Because the first person goes up, talks until they start playing the music, and then there's two or three people who won the same award who never get to speak. Yeah, they, like, they straight were cutting the mic yeah. a couple times in this one. So, yeah, not great, but, again, that's all about trying to fit in the time constraints. And everybody wants to talk and talk and talk. And then one other thing I liked was Keegan-Michael Key dropping down in the umbrella, Mary Poppins yeah. style. thought that was kind of a cool touch. So. Yeah, there was some cool, like, kind of goofy things. It obviously was peeled way, or scaled, scaled, I should say, way back from the crazy goofiness that we've seen when, you know, they Jimmy, were taking Jimmy Kimmel like going theme. into exactly. a theater or bringing random people in or giving everyone, or Ellen giving everyone, like, candy and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and all that stuff really does is waste time. Yeah, I mean, I it's kind of cute and clever, but... I agree. So, overall, you know, I thought they, it, it was good to try and focus on, you know, time, and, you know, they ended up not announcing... We, one other thing we should mention, they didn't uh, announce any awards at the commercial breaks, which is what they were planning on doing. Yeah. They decided to do those all after severe backlash, so... Yeah. I, I, I was cool with that, and it was still came in at, like, three hours and 15 minutes, yeah, which is good. way shorter than last year. Um, you know, some surprises with the wins. For the most part, I was okay with the winners. I was glad to see Green Book win Best Picture. So yeah, we've said it. That was I think we each agreed that was our favorite film. And people were pissed when Crash won way back when. Over they're Broke comparing back it Mountain. to that. Yeah, I loved Crash. It's one of my favorite movies ever. So I'm good with it. Yeah, nothing will ever replace Shakespeare in Love winning over Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> that I am going to take that to the grave about being pissed about that. So and at least they announced the right thing, and we didn't have the fiasco a couple years ago. You know, uh, Moonlight won Best Picture. You know. <laughs> yeah. you know Announcing La La Land, and they're like, oh, just kidding. So yeah. that was a disaster. But anyways, that's the Academy Awards. If you watched it, great. There's a little quick recap. If you didn't, well, you probably didn't miss that much. Uh, so there you go. And, and here's to hoping next year you do a little better. Yeah. Well, there's always room for improvement. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on from last year's movies to jump into a few more that have been released early here in 2019. Uh, I'm going to jump into a movie I saw a couple weeks ago. Um, and it is called Alita Battle Angel. Uh, this movie is based on the 1990s Japanese anime series Battle Angel Alita. Uh, it's directed by Robert Rodriguez of uh, Spy Kids <laughs> fame and some other things. Uh, it's written and produced by James Cameron uh, and John Lando. It stars uh, Rosa Salazar, Christoph Waltz, Jennifer Connelly, Mahershala Ali, Ed Screen, and Jackie Earl Haley. Uh, as well as Keenan Johnson in supporting roles. The plot summary from IMDb, a deactivated female cyborg is revived but cannot remember anything of her past life and goes on a quest to find out who she is. 
Uh, so this movie is uh, right up uh, James Cameron's alley. He he loves to sort of do these movies about uh, uh, I don't know like uh, beings that aren't quite human and how they sort of fit into society and uh, alternate worlds. Yes, like Avatar, um, like the uh, second Alien he did, um, and plenty of other films. A couple things I liked about this movie. I I think it has a really cool look. There's a really cool design uh, that has to do with this movie. It feels really unique. It takes place way in the future after something called The Fall has happened. So it's a post-apocalyptic movie, but it's well into the future. Um, and, and, you know, the market lately has been inundated with all these post-apocalyptic movies. Yeah, tons of different visions of the future. It's become a little bit tiresome. I agree. This one does a good job giving you sort of like a different sort of look at society. Although I will say I did get some Ready Player One vibes. It's sort of like this world that's overpopulated and uh, most of the, the world lives in poverty except for the rich elite. I did get a little bit of that, but it, but it, the world looks unique. It's, it's a unique sort of creation. Uh, it's populated with humans and cyborgs, and each of the cyborgs have a unique look. It's almost like uh, uh, James Cameron and, and Rodriguez were playing like Build-A-Bear Workshop with cyborgs and just piecing together robots and stuff in different ways and sort of just... Throwing crap and at the wall. Alita is a cyborg. Alita, yes, our main character is a cyborg. She's yeah. got these really big eyes. I've seen uh, the as you've probably seen in the trailers. Not so interested. In the I like I like the look of the movie. Sure. Uh, and the world that they created. This movie has some awesome uh, effects and action sequences. Particularly, there's this sport within the world of the film called motorball, which uh, is like this almost like roller derby with uh, meets meets. Um, uh, pod racing from the Star Wars I'd say it, series. I'd say it's like a hmm. mix of that. So it's like this arena where cyborgs are battling to the death, chasing this ball around, and it's sort of the sport of the world. And some of the best action sequences in the movie happen in there. It's got it's filmed really well. The effects look really cool. It's sort of like a big chase uh, at one point. So I, I really liked how, how that worked. Um, I also liked the efforts that they made. Alita, of course, is a cyborg. She's not real human, but she's like half human. And in the movie, they, they sort of really try to make her seem more human. The main way they do that is through a relationship with this teenage boy. Uh, it's kind of hit or miss, the relationship. It's kind of weird. It's like, well, it's a cyborg with a human. Like, I have so many logistical questions as to how this works. Uh, how do, Like, is this even possible? How many feelings does the cyborg have? I was going down a rabbit hole with this one, but... It was like, uh, I liked how they they used that kind of stuff to make her. Like, she's like this badass killer. That's the cyborg side. Yeah. But at the same time, there's like these scenes where she's like this clingy teenage girl and she falls in love with the first guy that talks to her and she's like willing to rip out her heart so this guy can accomplish his dream. So it's kind of a funny juxtaposition that you have like this assassin, but you, and on the other hand, you have, you know, this teenage girl who just wants to find love and likes teenage girl stuff. So, uh, I like that they were sort of, um, made her, uh, you know, human-like. You okay. Say. So, how, how did they create her? Because I see in here, she's listed as an actress, Rose Salazar. Yeah. So, how much of it was CGI and how much of it was an actual actress? You know what? I, I don't. I didn't look into that too much, but it's definitely her face, the actress's face. I would guess they used some stop motion uh, mixed in with with CGI um, because it's basically just her face, and then it's obviously CGI. Well, because, bigger eyes. Yeah, her, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I think it's probably a stop motion situation okay. where she's acting with facial expressions, but they're overlaying it with a lot of CGI within the world of the film. Christoph Waltz finds her. 
and builds her into a cyborg. She's mm-hmm. like in this scrap heap uh, in a in a part. So um, that's kind of how they they bring her together, and then she goes on this journey and sort of uh, through this relationship with this guy and Christoph Waltz, and within the world, she sort of learns who she is, and it it crescendos to this climax where she's uh, you know being a warrior and going after the people. Mahershala Ali plays the bad guy in this, so she goes after him by the end. A couple things I didn't like about this movie, and there was a lot of that, too. Um, This movie's so stylistic and has so much sort of uh, a unique style to it that it's almost unintentionally funny at times. (laughs) Like, there's parts where Alito will, like, fall apart, and it's literally just, like, her head with an arm attached to it, and she's, like, attacking other cyborgs just with a head and an arm, like, stabbing them. (laughs) Um, Or, like, she'll fall... Like a zombie. Yeah, and it's, it's almost, like, so, like, out of this world... That it feels kind of campy to a certain extent. It looks campy. Yeah. I mean, it it looks a little bit out there. Well, it is out there for sure. But I think for the most part, the effects in the world are cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's just kind of like so like how it is like that, that it it sort of looks weird sometimes. The worst part about it, it's a very sloppy script. The plot is all over the place. It doesn't really know where it wants to go. You know, sometimes they're talking about this sky city where the rich people live. Other times they're trying to mix in her past. There's this love story aspect. There's this mercenary aspect. It felt very overstuffed. And because of that, Mahershala Ali's character gets very underdeveloped. And so does Jennifer Connelly. Uh, She sort of gets neglected too. And it's like, what's the point of having these great actors and actresses in it if you're not going to use them? So um, the ending's a little anticlimactic. And they're very clearly trying to set up sequels. Which I hate when movies do that when they at the expense of the movie that they're actually making, they try and create sequels. And it's just so stupid. Like, just do the first one first. Don't try and force this crap in here so you can have another one. Um, And that's what they're very clearly trying to do here, set up a series. Um, And because of that, the end feels kind of anticlimactic. That being said, it it, it looks cool. I liked it more than I thought I would. And some of the action sequences really are cool. Um, So I ended up giving it a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I'm disappointed to hear that it wasn't better. I'm also a little surprised why some of these leads took this role. I mean, Mahershala Ali, I I told you when I reviewed Green Book way back when, he's one of my favorite new actors. Uh, Jennifer Connelly from one of my favorite movies, Requiem for a Dream. Christoph Waltz is an Academy Award winning kid. Mix of amazing actors and actresses in what appears to kind of just be like a sci-fi action flick. Yeah, but I mean, you've got James Cameron behind this. You got yeah. Robert Rodriguez. These are big-time filmmakers. People want True. to be a part of projects like this. Mahershala Ali. Um, we talked. We talked about Green Book, and you see how easily he makes that role work. In this one, it's like he's almost like acting with like one arm. You know, he's not even trying with his whole body. It's like he's just sleepwalking through this. Um, and he's really not on screen all that much. So um, I don't know. You know, sometimes actors just take roles. It's a paycheck. Uh, you know, move on to the next sure, one. Sure, absolutely. So, Sounds but it's pretty a, forgettable for you, though. No, I don't think I'd go as far as forgettable. I really wouldn't. I think you're letting your own uh, biases about no, what I mean, this movie looks like to you yeah. get in the way. I, I actually enjoyed watching the movie. I wouldn't say forgettable. I would say it's it's nothing that's, you know, going to stand the test of time. Sure. But I, I would recommend watching it to people, especially yeah. people who are into sci-fi. I mean, it was a... It was a it was an entertaining watch. You know what I, I watched the other day that was sci-fi that was amazing? The Matrix. 
Yeah. So there's a bar set for sci-fi films. And yeah, so, well, The Matrix know. is a high bar. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's one of the old-time you know, no, great yeah. I mean, six, six, I guess, six set kind of speaks to what it is. Yeah. It's, it's not horrible, but it's not great. Anyways, that's Alito Battle Angel. Uh, good cast, good directors behind it. So it's in theaters now if you want to go check it out. Uh, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? So, yeah, I'm going to transition from uh, movie movies and uh, go right to TV. Uh, I've watched a couple of Netflix original series recently, one of those being Ozark. And uh, this is a series that's got two seasons in the can already, and it's got a third one on the way, so we're being told. Um, and so the description here uh, on IMDb, a financial advisor drags his family from Chicago to the Missouri Ozarks, where he must launder $500 million in five years to appease a drug boss. So the financial advisor, the lead of the entire series, is, of course... Um, is played by Jason Bateman. He plays a character called Marty Bird. And some of the other characters involved, his wife, Wendy Bird, is played by Laura Linney. Julia Garner plays Ruth Langmore. Um, and there's a few other actors and actresses, not many, maybe most would have heard of. Your, your two big stars are Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I got to give you a little bit more on the plot here. So uh, basically what happens is Jason Bateman He's a financial advisor, and his partner is also a financial advisor. And they, along with a couple of other trucking company guys, uh, they have been laundering money for, we don't know exactly how long, but several years for a huge Mexican drug cartel out of Chicago. And uh, Bateman's partners um, basically are skimming off the top uh, from this drug cartel. They're stealing money from the cartel beyond what they already get paid. So we'll just say that those characters... And I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. They get eliminated uh, from, from the show. And you'll see how that plays out if you choose to watch it. So Bateman comes up with this kind of uh, desperate, you know, avoid getting killed uh, move uh, based on a pamphlet that's in his pocket at the time he's being confronted by a drug boss that's about the Missouri Ozarks. So he hatches this elaborate plan on the spot uh, to go down there and convinces the drug boss that the Missouri Ozarks is going to be a great place to launder all this money and all these tourist, you know, businesses and all these visitors during the summer, so on and so forth. It's an area surrounded by lakes. Uh, in actuality, it's a shithole tourist town um, with very shitty, struggling businesses. And Bateman is, is committed, he and his wife and his son and daughter, to go down here uh, to the Ozarks and has convinced the drug lords, so to speak, that he's going to be able to do this. And it's become a huge challenge. So that's all I'll really say plot-wise. Um, but I think it did for me, it will for you if you watch it, and it has for everybody, reminded people of Breaking Bad. Many, many, many comparisons drawn. At the heart of both series, you kind of have like this seemingly average guy and a seemingly average family who's forced into this dark life of crime. In this case, Marty Bird's kind of, he's already in, you know, in a, a kind of connections with a drug cartel, but he's forced to go to a place outside of his element of suburban Chicago to do his money laundering. Um, it felt, felt like Breaking Bad maybe has a little more dark humor uh, than Ozark does, but this series has that as well. And what I like about this TV series is that despite the fact that it's about things you would very clearly categorize as good and bad, it, crime, 
drug cartels, FBI agents, law enforcement. There are so few characters who are actually outright good or outright bad. You know, a character in many cases might be doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, like Marty Bird. Or there are many characters who do the wrong thing, but maybe uh, for the right reasons. Sorry, Marty Bird's doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, and vice versa. Um, and I like that, I like that because you, when you can sympathize with characters, but also get frustrated with them as well, I think that that makes a show and characters relatable. And it doesn't put them in a box. So you've got a lot of different layers to all of these characters. And, and I think anybody who's watched Breaking Bad knows that character development was the crowning achievement of Breaking Bad. Where, where you start with the characters there and where you finish, it was amazing. Uh, have you heard about Ozark? <clears throat> I have, for sure. I know a lot of people like it on Netflix. Um, I've heard it described as, as if it's sort of like the anti-Breaking Bad, though, actually. Because Walter White, who's like this normal science teacher, turns to a life of crime where Jason Bateman is, like you said, already sort of has his foot in the door and he goes to the Missouri Ozarks to kind of try and sweep it under the rug a little bit. So it's sort of like the same, but maybe flip-flopped a little bit. My, Jason Bateman is a guy that who I think of as a comedy actor. Yeah. How does he Is he mostly being serious in this? I mean, does it work? Yeah, yeah. That was, leads right to my next point. He's very good in this, and, and I, I noted that as well. This is a totally different role for Jason Bateman. What I really like about his character is as I alluded to while describing the plot, his quick wit helps he and his family get out of so many predicaments. It's entertaining just in, in and of itself to watch him talk his way out of life and death situations. I think he does a really good, good job. And, and, and given what his background is, it was, it's an impressive performance. But the star of this series uh, is an actress known as, or named uh, Julia Garner. Uh, she stars as Ruth Langmore, She's part of this redneck family that's always been in the Missouri Ozarks. They're the family known kind of as the town criminals, petty crime, theft, things like that. She's captivating as a character who has to take care of her entire family. You know, not just her cousins who are, and she's like a 19-year-old, not just her cousins who are her age, but also her dad and her uncles. And she has to run the show, basically. So she's loyal to her family, but she also becomes an ally to Marty Bird along the way. He gets her a job at a strip club that he's laundering money through. And so she struggles kind of being caught between different groups of people and not knowing what exactly to do. And she's great. And if you watch it, you'll know what I mean. So many good side characters, though, including a performance by an actor named Jason Butler Harner. He's the main FBI agent investigating the drug, uh, drug cartel and also the Bird family. And he's an example of what I talked about in terms of someone who's doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, and kind of ends up becoming a huge villain of the series. So uh, it's really good. I thought the, the, the first season, I, I would say, is the strongest. I think the second season was a little bit of a, a, a step down, but still good. Um but I want to go before I, as I wrap this up. I want to go back to that Breaking Bad comparison. That show had a five season runtime, and it was compelling throughout. No one ever thought it lost its steam. I think the challenge with any television drama, crime drama, is you have to find a good balance between the episodes where a lot happens and a lot moves the story and the plot, and also the episodes where maybe not as much happens, but ones where we learn about characters and we develop them. I think Breaking Bad struck that 
incredibly. And I hope, and I, I'm interested to see if Ozark can, and also how long it runs. You know what I mean? Like, No, sometimes you need to know when the time is to quit. Like, everyone loved Breaking Bad. We wanted to see that show keep going. Yeah. But Vince Gilligan and, his, and, the, and the makers of the show realized that, no, we don't want to drag this out longer than it has to be. Let's wrap it up. His arc has been done. Let's end it. Like, Walking Dead is a show I've watched since its beginning. And I feel like that show is just lingering just for the sake of being on yeah. television now. Uh, it's really gone downhill. Yeah, Lost is another good example. Got our buddy here with us just brought that up. I think that's another good example. That's, yeah. Although I will say Lost is different that it sort of lost its way in the middle yeah. and then sort of came back at the end. But happens all the time shows lingering too long hopefully it doesn't happen with those no i hope so too and you know what i mean you know you get what i'm saying with like you know a series you're not always going to have a climactic event in every episode so you have to do a good job in other ways when the when the episode isn't like that and if they don't and this is one criticism of ozark is sometimes when they don't have a lot going the first half of the second season was a little slow you really have to do a good job developing your characters because you're not always, with any series, you're not always going to have a ton of action or plot twists. Mm -hmm. So you have to build in different ways. For the most part, Ozark, something yeah, you're recommending? absolutely recommend. Not quite on the level of Breaking Bad, but as you said with Matrix, uh, Breaking Bad is a huge high watermark and hard to top. So I would highly recommend it, though. I think it's a good show. Cool. Well, that's Ozark. It's a show that's been on Netflix for a while and is definitely... Uh, uh, got some steam and some attention um, and season three is on the way so if you want to catch up you can do that on netflix in uh, in the binge watch style so there you go all right moving on to the final uh, thing we're going to discuss on today's uh february 27th episode episode 30 of the sdfp um is a pretty highly anticipated family film as we like to call them uh it's how to train your dragon the hidden world uh this is the final film in the trilogy uh, following How to Train Your Dragon from 2010 and How to Train Your Dragon 2 from 2014. This movie is written and directed by Dean DeBlow, and it stars the voice talents of Jay Baruchel, America Ferreira, Kate Blanchett, Craig Ferguson, F. Murray Abraham, Jonah Hill, Kit Harrington. Lots of people in this, uh, in this movie. Kristen Wiig, so pretty talented uh, voice cast here. Um, this is a trilogy that I've loved. I was excited to see this movie um, because the first two were really good. I mean, I'm, I'm saying like on the level of certain Pixar films, in my opinion. Um, but I was nervous. I was nervous coming to this one. If you follow us on Twitter, you, you've seen my sort of uh, japes or backhanded jokes about how I was like afraid because the trailers look like this is pretty intense. It looks like it's uh, got some adult themes to it. It looks like it has maybe some, some uh, uh, you know, death, well, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an animated film, kids film, so, you know, it was probably a little bit unrealistic, but I was like, oh, this is going to be like Littlefoot's mom dying level sad. Well, I was I, nervous. I thought the trailers were trying to sell like a love story between two dragons. That's the, all I've pulled from it. Well, that's there's a lot of that in okay. it, too, for sure. But, uh, you know, Evan, we know you don't like dogs, so you don't have oh, that soft spot. Oh, this is not true! You don't have that soft spot for, you know, the animated dragons. You thought it was funny when the brontosaurus died and lost in uh in uh <laughs> land jurassic, no jurassic world oh, okay. when the when the when the brontosaurus is dying on the island you were laughing in your seat so we all know that you know you don't have a soft spot for the creatures of this world i on the other hand love animated creatures uh so i was nervous i thought there was going to be death i thought it was going to be like dragons being 
in cages and you know there's a scary mean guy in this um so coming into it i was a little bit nervous that's all i'm saying even for a family film you know like that sort of kid movie sad you know what i'm talking about where they you know they purposely you know scar gets thrown off a cliff or like i said little Mo little foot's mom dies you know how animated films like the tug of your heartstrings like this i will say when i went into this it wasn't that bad i overreacted big time so just say that right away you don't have to be afraid of your kids crying uh, if you go okay, watch this Okay, good to know. Or Champ crying in the back yes, seat. Yes, or me. Or, you know, anyone with a heart, really, other than that. Oh okay. God. Obviously, the animation, like the other two, is incredible in this. Uh, whether it's the different kind of dragons or the landscapes. You know, we have fog and steam. We have vivid, fluorescent, avatar-like colors when they get to the hidden world. We have northern lights. Um, you know, we have islands, pine forests. The movie looks amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, it's amazing to see how far animation has come. You know, if you watch, if you watch like the first Toy Story, for example, which is, you know, we've said before, is known for being the first completely computer generated film. You can see sort of like the imperfections and how, you know, yeah. gimmicky that was if you watch it. In animation now is amazing. Uh, I mentioned this movie has, like the second one, has great emotional depth. Uh, the, the first one was sort of more like a kid's movie. They took it to the next level in the second one um, in sort of making maybe a little, like a little bit more adult, a little more adult uh, themes. Um, this movie does a great job really focusing on Hiccup, played by Jake Baruchel, who's our main character. Uh, his journey sort of comes full circle. In the first one, he, he wants to become a dragon slayer, um, and then he, he saves them. Um, and then he wants to, in the second one, he sort of wants to assimilate them into the Viking culture. And by the end of this one, he realizes that they ultimately just can't live with each other because people want to ultimately capture dragons. So he has to make the mature decision to send Toothless away, and they have to go, and go to separate Toothless ways. is the black dragon, yes, right? Yes, it's his okay. dragon, Toothless, is, is the, the main one. dragon. Um, and so they, they realize that they need to go the separate ways. But uh, I really think that Hiccup, who is our main character, it's a really great arc that gets completed here. Um, I think the movie does a great job uh, handling fights in battles. This is a movie that has swords and arrows and hand-to-hand -hand fighting between human characters. And, of course, as a PG film in a, in a kid's movie, you can't make that too violent. How do you do that? How do you make it so it's not violent? And they do it sort of like in a funny way where guys are, you know, it's sort of slapsticky where guys are getting their heads stuck in barrels or they're burning them on the bum or stuff like, you know, they, they make it so it's a fight scene. But it's for kids. So I think that that's... It's not like a Deadpool 2. Right. They do that really well. <laughs> they, they handle that well. Another thing I really liked is the scenes between the two dragons. You mentioned uh, that it's a love story. Or at least it's what the trailer looks like. Looks like it. And a lot of the movie is about Toothless finding this. What They ended up calling it the Light Fury. It's a female version of the specific kind of dragon he is. So there's a lot of scenes where there's no dialogue because the dragons don't talk. It's almost like Wally. It reminded me of Wally when the robots are interacting with each other. So there's no dialogue. So basically the filmmakers are relying on, you know, uh, facial expressions and mannerisms and music to sort of convey what these two dragons are thinking of each other. And they do it really well. There's funny parts where at one point Toothless is trying to like woo the female light fury and he's doing all this goofy stuff like jumping around and flapping his wings and hiccups in the background trying to like direct him. Telling bringing, him what to do. Bringing uh, her a... Uh as it would be in the the trailer, a Viking or a lamb. Yes, yes. Trying to try, impress her. Yes, trying to do all these things to impress the girl. So it's it's really funny, but at other times it's also really sweet. 
uh, you can see them sort of bonding with each other, and there's no words that need to be said. All we were missing was uh, Elton John in uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight sometimes. And honestly, I was getting some Lion King vibes when they were sort of meshing with each other, and they're like flying around in the sky and in the forest, and there's even a point when they're both standing on a rock and all the other dragons bow to them. I was like, wow, this looks like Lion King, except with dragons. And, so you know, um, I think they did, did a good job, though, with, with sort of developing their relationship in a way that kids can digest and without uh, without dialogue. So th those are some of the things I think the movie did really good. Uh, have you seen any of these movies before? No, I haven't, and uh, I won't go on too much about it, but I will defend my uh, my my film critic identity here. I agree with you. When an animated movie is done well, you can convey an incredible amount of emotion. Wally, the amount of emotion you could sense from him without talking, just with how they created him, was incredible. I remember getting choked up, and we've talked about this, watching Up, watching Toy Story 3 during the furnace scene. So I'd like to push back a little bit on uh, me not liking animated films. <laughs> no, I, I didn't say that you didn't or, like or, animated uh, films. I said that you don't get as attached to uh, characters that are maybe not human. Okay. Airbud, another movie. Oh, where Air Bud. I was <laughs> torn up about Airbud. And anyway, okay. I, 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 I think I, th I do think though you. So have you you don't mind dogs? No. <laughs> no, I love that movie. I, you get choked up when when Buddy returns. Come on. My point is though is I do think you have to earn it a little more with like an animated creature movie. Like you have to earn it a little more. Yeah. You have to you have to make it really well done because it's not as easy. Yeah. No. That's my point for sure. There were, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. There, it's an animated creature. I do it's have a real. soul, everybody listening. Good to know, Thanks. Evan. Good to know. There were a couple things I didn't like about this movie. I thought the climax and the main villain in this was a little bit repetitive from the second one. Uh, it was almost like the same exact climax with this big battle on ships and in the water and dragons flying all over the place. It looks great. It looks amazing. It's fun to watch. It's exciting, um, but it but it, it did feel like a little bit of a retread from the second one. I would have maybe liked to have seen something a little bit different. Um, I think the humor is lacking, even for a kids' movie. Um, you know, I mentioned some of the funny slapstick stuff that they did, and I thought that worked okay. But there was really no big laughs at all in the theater I was in, and and there was kids in the theater watching the movie with me, and there wasn't any like huge outbursts, maybe one or two. So I was maybe hoping for a little bit more humor because we've talked about these movies before where we we laugh all the time, you know. They they can be really funny. They sprinkle in some adult stuff, and they do that a couple times, um, but but it's just not you know great. It's not what I up in the upper echelon that I've sure, seen in other family you. films. Um, but ultimately, this movie has a great heart. Uh, it'll hit you in the feels. It really will. It's. It, I think it's a, a worthy conclusion to what I think has been one of the best animated trilogies ever. Um, and uh, it, it's a bit of a gut punch at the end, but it's it's very it's it's it earns it. And I compare it sort of to the end of Toy Story three. I think that it it earns it All in right. that way. Um, and these characters you do care about. Uh, and it ultimately ends happy. So, um, for all those reasons, uh, this is a trilogy that I've really liked and I would recommend it to anyone. Um, I gave it a solid 8 out of 10. Wow, it's a good review. Yeah, I think, for me, um, I haven't seen a lot of the DreamWorks stuff. You know, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon. I just haven't seen much of it. <clears throat> I've kind of gotten the in the mindset, like, that, you know, when a Pixar movie comes out, I need to make a point of seeing it. But I haven't done the same with DreamWorks, probably because the reputation isn't quite there. But, look, I mean, I, I like what Pixar's done. 
I can appreciate the movies they've made, and if you're saying DreamWorks does a comparable job here, then I, I think I'd enjoy it as well. Yeah, I mean, I think DreamWorks is a little bit more hit and miss, but Pixar's had a couple, you know, I don't know if they're misses, but they're, you know, they'd be, I'd definitely say they're worse than this movie. Kung yeah. Fu Panda's another trilogy that I really like, too, so I would recommend that, too. I mean, DreamWorks Shrek. They had some of those Shrek movies, especially the first one. You know, they maybe went on a little bit too long. The but, first one was epic. Yeah, so yeah, DreamWorks so has put some, some quality yeah, right, stuff out right. there, too. Um, but definitely something I'd recommend and you should check out. Anyways, that's all we got for you here today on the February 27th episode. Episode 30, the first one after our one-year anniversary. Uh, so we're still here. We're still kicking. A uh, few more movies out there that are going to be coming. Captain Marvel is probably coming up here in March. Uh which is going to be it a big is. one that we'll both definitely try and go see, the continuation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm curious to see if Captain Marvel, you know, if there's certainly sort of clues as to what's going to happen in Avengers. So that's one of the main reasons that I'm excited to see that one. Uh, got some more big movies coming out this year that we've mentioned before, so we'll definitely stay on top of all of them. Before we leave real quick, Evan, you want to tell them how to get in touch with us? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we obviously you can listen to us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. We've got Twitter, uh, we've got email, secondayfilm at gmail.com, and we've got uh, Instagram, and the big one is Facebook. So I say this every pod, go go to our page and like our page, and then invite all your friends to like our page. That helps us out and uh, and, and helps kind of grow the audience. And, uh, and yeah, look, a year in, man, and we're still chugging along, having fun, and I mean, it's fun to talk about movies, right? It's, uh, it's something we've enjoyed, and we appreciate everybody who's been on the ride with us. For sure. So until next time, we'll see you at the movies.